Once again, good morning. You know, it's funny on Father's Day, like I forgot today was Father's Day when I was driving this morning. And it's funny how that happens. Um, And it's like, okay, men, I'm glad you're here. Now we're going to just yell at you for an hour. That's kind of how Father's Day is, it seems like. But I think that's sometimes a good thing. But hey, before I get started, I want to encourage, I'm going to bother you for a moment, so please forgive me. I want to ask you to get your phones out very quickly. Pull your phones out and just text the word hello to 318-299-8515. And here's why. We are a faith family. And as God's word is exhorted and preached, and as we just think about the words of God, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to convict us of truth. And it's going to speak to us. And we as, as pastors, as a staff, we want to partner with you with what God is doing in your life. And so please let us know what God is doing, how we can pray for you, how we can challenge you, how we can give you a next spiritual step. Let us know what that might be. So today, we're back in the book of James. We're going to try to finish off this book the rest of this summer. And the book of James is kind of like a mirror. So you know there's, in your house or at your work, you have certain mirrors that are good mirrors. But you go to them and the lighting is just right. You have that pretty skin, look a little skinnier, and it's just really, really nice, right? We go to that mirror all the time, right? But there's those, there's those some mirrors, right? They just show all the faults, don't they? Every, not on me, but on other people, as you understand. But like... It just shows every blemish you might have, and you just kind of stay away from that mirror. It's never an encouraging mirror. You're like, oh, gosh. I'm going to tell you today, I believe we'll be a bit like that. Uh, My hope and my prayer is that as we look in this mirror from God's word, that we, in a sense, we kind of recoil at maybe some sins or apathies in our life. So very quickly, just some kind of background on the book of James, on James the person. So James, the man, there's lots of James in the New Testament. This James here was the the half-brother of Jesus. It's a pretty big deal, half-brother of Jesus. I would love to kind of hear what he experienced. He was this half-brother of Jesus, but he was also, he was also this great leader in the early church. So there's this great story in Acts when there's this disagreement in the church about how to handle these new Gentile Christians. What they should observe in the Jewish law, what they don't have to observe, those kinds. There was this big debate. Um, And you have this kind of picture here in Acts where there's Paul kind of says his piece. And then Peter says his piece. And so for us, we hear Paul and we hear Peter. That's like the heavyweights of the New Testament, correct? Those are the ones that we think of. But what's interesting in this passage in in Acts, they look to James for the final word on what to do. Like his voice was the heaviest voice in the room. That gives you some perspective on who James was as a leader and the respect he carried in the early church. And then James, as most of the early church leaders were, was martyred. And here's why I say all that, because we have this book preserved for us that was written by this hero of the faith that was inspired by God. 
that was like the leader in the church that was martyred for his faith. So when James says stuff like we should be steadfast in trials, friends, that should carry lots of weight for us today because James experienced major suffering and major trials. So when we read these words, imagine if we had just this phenomenal missionary here that had gone through all these trials and was speaking to us we'd be on the edge of our seats. But the same is true for us today. We have the great words inspired by the Holy Spirit through James. And so we're coming, we're going to try to finish this book off in the next few months. But more importantly, here's who James is for us today and for the next few weeks. He is that friend, that loving friend who tells you there's broccoli in your teeth. But the broccoli is your sin. <laughs> He's that loving friend that sometime, I don't know if I want to, like, full, full disclosure, I am not that friend. Am I? I'm that friend who's, oh, you look great. Keep smiling. I'm just way too nice and I always sharing that challenge. James gets right in our face. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's very uncomfortable. And so I, I think today we should feel the weight of James coming in to our face, into our grill, so to speak. He's the friend who's asking this question right here. Is this faith thing, is it really real to you? Is this faith thing you talk about, you attend these things, is it a hobby, an external thing you do like a membership to a club, or is this thing real? Because if it's real, you're in. If it's not real, you're out. And then James, through the rest of this book, he has seven or eight topics he kind of hits to say, if you're not here on this, it shows you're out. He walks through how we, how we use our tongue, how we speak to others, our control of our tongue. And if our tongue is a certain way, it proves this is not real to us. And then he goes to the light topic of money. And how we use and value our money. And if we do it in the way of the world, then we're out. And then he goes to how that we care for the poor. And if we don't care for the poor, actually you're out. This is not real to you. And he goes down the list through all kinds of things. How you deal with temptation. He puts these things in our face. And he puts that mirror so close. And he forces us to wrestle with the question. Is this faith real to us? Because this faith, if it's true faith, will work itself out into actions. See, the book of James, which if you read this and study it, it's heavily influenced really by the Sermon on the Mount and by the words of Jesus himself. What you see James doing here, he is trying to kind of draw out for us this living embodiment of the words of Jesus in the early church. Look at James 1 very quickly. James 1, verse 18. He says here, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. It's God's gospel that made us a people. And here's why, as it keeps going, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We had the fall and now the church in a sense, is this new garden, this new thing for God to use, the first fruits of his work. And the garden, these first fruits should look 
a certain way. And, and let me share today kind of what's on my heart. I believe as I was praying this week and just as one of your pastors, we need someone right now to lovingly get in our face and ask us, is this faith real to us? We need our brother in Christ, James, through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to us today and force us to wrestle with the question, are we in, is this faith, the faith, the center of our lives, or is it a hobby? Today we're going to be in James 1, 26, if you want to turn there. James 1, verse 26. And this verse, 26 and 27, is really like a, it's almost a hinge verse. It's kind of James stepping even closer to your face, right? There's been a conversation where somebody's a little too close. They step even further. Like, okay, you need to back up. This is James getting very, very close to us and bringing that mirror really up close. It's basically saying, if you're, if you're for real with the Jesus thing, here is what it will look like. 2627 is kind of a summary statement of the entire letter from James. Look at James 126. Let me read it to you. If anyone thinks, if anyone thinks he is religious, if anyone thinks that he is of the faith, if anyone thinks he's being for real in this, but here it comes, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, here comes the gut punch, this person's religion is worthless. This word bridle really means control. If we can't control the tongue, he says here, he's stepping further into our face and saying, if you can't control your tongue, your faith is not really real. It's not really real. Which brings to our first point as we talk about this idea of true faith. The first point, we must be self-controlled. We must be self-controlled. If our tongue is not controlled, he says, our faith is worthless. It's a faith that will get you nowhere and will not be able to support anything. It's a worthless, hollow faith. It's an external faith. It's external religion. And this really ties in with the teachings of Jesus on the tongue, right? Where Jesus himself says that what comes from the mouth comes from the heart. It's our mouth, our tongue, our speech, our words is a tell for what's really in our heart. And if there's no control, there's an internal problem, correct? But let's look at kind of where, where James is coming from. Look at verse 19. And what this kind of controlled speech should look like. Verse 19 says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. This quick to hear and slow to speak, it draws me back, draws us back to the Sermon on the Mount, correct? Where he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who are slow to, slow to speak, who are quick to hear. 
Listen, the tongue is the true test of religion. Our tongue is this true test of what we actually believe. The tongue is really this true picture of self-control. Because what James is saying is if we control the tongue, there's self-control. And one of the fruits of the Spirit, this first fruits of this new creation, is self-control. And if there's not this self-control, it's a worthless religion, as James tells us. The Christian's tongue, on the positive side of this, the Christian's tongue should be measured, should be wise, and it should be gentle. And we see this in the life of Jesus, don't we? Jesus does challenge. Jesus does get angry. But Jesus is fully controlled. And his words are measured. They're wise. They're gentle. They're encouraging. So if James is kind of holding up the mirror to the way that you talk today. See, I've already been through this in my prep, so this is your turn now. But if James holds the mirror up to our tongue, what is that mirror showing? Let me ask you this. When it sees how your words or our words are used with our spouse and our kids. And that mirror is held up. And those words are kind of reflecting right now. Is there a spirit of self-control? When the mirror then turns and takes a look at our social media feed and what we're posting, is it a spirit of self-control? Can we say that we're being peacemakers in the social media world? Let me get a little further in for us. When the mirror is with us as we drive our car and that person pulls in front of us or just won't turn, just turn. That's all you got to do is just turn. Is there a spirit of self-control? What is driving us from the inside? And finally, when the mirror is on us and it's just us and our closest people, your best friend, your spouse, whoever your person is, and you're talking about other people, Is there a spirit of self-control? Are we being peacemakers? Are we being a person who is using words to bring peace and bring encouragement? If we don't control our tongue, and James here is saying, okay, if there's no control here or no attempt to bridle or control our tongue, it says here, he says, our religion is worthless. Thank you, James. So what does true religion actually look like? Look at verse 27. He says here, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The the perfect picture of faith is what he's saying. This perfect unstained picture of our faith is this right here. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It's our second point. We must be servant-hearted. Self-control, servant-hearted. Because remember, this James is pointing us to a living embodiment of the life and ways and words of Jesus. And so his church should be this living embodiment of self-control and servant-heartedness. 
which we see perfectly in Jesus, correct? The perfect picture of a servant. And James uses the words here to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In their affliction. See, James instructing the church here that we can't have this, we can't have true religion and then have indifference to the great needs around us. We cannot be the church of Jesus Christ and sing and say he is our Lord and then be indifferent to those that Jesus came to save. Does that make sense? Look at James 1.22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Once again, Sermon on the Mount, correct? To build your life on the solid foundation, hear these words and obey these words. We can't just hear about the the servant-hearted nature of our king. We must follow in our king's footsteps and serve the least of these and not be indifferent. What is the beatitude? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Listen, church, the Christians, we are the mercy people. We are the mercy people because we drank in the mercy of God. Does that make sense? We were poor. We were lost, right? We are the lepers who can't change our spots. And because we received the mercy of God from our King Jesus, we go and do likewise. So there's an obvious point that James is trying to make here. This first is this, that we should care for actual orphans and widows that we should find the orphans among us and literally care for them in any way possible. We should find the widows around us and care for them in any way possible. But he's also making a more subtle point. Look at James 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith And our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, for a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, a guy like me, I guess you could say, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Listen, this is a subtle point that we must care for those who cannot benefit us. That our attention, our focus, our love, our attention, all those things cannot simply be on those people who are like us or benefit us. That we must turn to those that are the forgotten ones, right? The orphans and the widows and serve them. Our focus cannot simply be on our people, like our family, our network, and those that we need. It must be on those who have nothing to give back to us. As the mirror comes up to me, as I think about this point, I'm going to tell you, I felt a deep sense of conviction this morning as I was praying about preaching to you guys. And here's where the conviction I felt, to be honest with you, is that many times 
Many times as I'm around those who can't benefit me, there's a greater spirit of indifference than there is compassion. Does that make sense? That I'm just going along my day, my week, doing my thing, and there's just many times the blinders on to the needs of the world. Here, here's an example. We, ha- I, we have many people in our church and we have friends who are in the foster care world, right? And that's, that's just really a broken just world as you kind of walk in that. And we tend to think about the kids. Of course, we should and, and care for those and foster and adopt those children. Absolutely. But nine times out of ten, what you see in the foster care world is a birth parent who is also a foster child themselves. And so what you're seeing is this just cycle of poverty, of lack of love, lack of care. And here's where I worry for, for me and for us to church. I, I worry sometimes we are so busy just doing stuff that we are blind to the indifference in our world, blind to the hurts in our world, and we're just indifferent. And here's what happens is that there's some people who are called to this and they end up like trying to adopt and foster like 74 kids. And it's just not functional. And there is this sense, we're not all called to the same thing. But friends, here's this. You're called to something. I heard it say, it's a little cheesy. You can't save the world, but you can, in a sense, begin to work in your little world. We're called to do something. And I just, as I brought the mirror up to myself today and I felt this sense of indifference in so many areas of the forgotten in our world, I was simply convicted. Convicted of my indifference, convicted of my lack of action. Because here's the truth. The reason we're indifferent, because as we step into that world, whatever that world where there is need, there's going to be need. There's going to be work. There's going to be, in a sense, foot washing, correct, as we serve others. We're going to sweat. We're going to spend money. We're going to be bothered. We're going to use time. All those things. But remember, James is pointing us to the living embodiment of the words and the ways of Jesus. Is this really real to us? If it is, it's going to lead us to those who cannot benefit us. Finally, James's last point here, what true religion looks like in verse 27. To visit orphans, widows, and their affliction. And finally, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Last point, we must be set apart. Self-controlled, servant-hearted, and set apart. This perfect living embodiment of Jesus. This kind of unstained from the world is really the summation of the entire book of James. It's persevering through trials. That's the way that we're different from the world. As we hear and do the word of God, that's different from the world. As we control our tongue, as we use our money wisely, that's how we're different from the world. Listen, the living embodiment of the words of Jesus should live us, lead us to stick out from the rest of the world. We should be the sore thumb to the rest of the world. We shouldn't look like the stained world. We should not look like the stained world. But hear this today. This is when we first started the church. We walked through the book of Ephesians. And Luke used an illustration about 
being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we have this beautiful, unstained coat on us. But friends, we just keep putting on the nasty coat over and over and over again. And the coat still smells, it still stinks, it's still gross, it's still weighing us down, yet we come back to it over and over again. And James is pointing us to say, we should be different. So very quickly, what stains today and this morning in your mirror showing? We're talking about being different, being set apart from the rest of the world. In your life, what stains are showing? Here are some ones I believe are common for us, some pastoral insights. The first kind of stain I see in us many times is that there is saturation with the things of the world over saturation with the bread of life. I I can talk to many of us, and many times myself included, and our schedule is full of so many different things. That if we're truly stepping back, and as James puts this mirror in front of us, if we're honest, we would say, don't really count that much in the picture of the kingdom of God. My life included. We're full of those things. But yet, we are just totally starving for the bread of life, God's word we find Jesus. I think about, um, remember the Israelites? Back in the Old Testament, they were given manna every day, and they got sick of that manna. They wanted some better manna. They didn't want that. They were tired of that. And I think for many of us, if we're just honest today, we're looking for all kinds of things, right? But yet we're always hungry. And I think it's because we have not learned how to be committed to the true bread of life. We have devoted ourselves to all kinds of things, right? But we have not truly devoted ourselves to the bread of life in God's word. Second point, second stain I see many times. There's a focus on the kingdom of this world over the kingdom of God. That we, are, we live being offended by things of this world. Whatever you're thinking, whether it's politics, how COVID is handled, how the schools are ran, how the car dealership is, how your HOA is, all these things, we, we, all of our passion, all of our emotion, all of our energy, all of everything in us goes to these things. Our focus is on these things and these things in the big picture and the kingdom of God. Where one day, friends, you and me and all of us are going to stand and account for our lives. But we are wrapped up with the focus on simply things that don't matter. It is fine to have opinions. Opinions are good and fun and right. But let's focus on the majors. There are lost among us. Our worship many times is indifferent and apathetic. There are poor, there are orphans, there are homeless among us that we ignore. Let's focus on our kingdom work and let these lesser things be handled by the stains of the world. Because too many times we're just focused on lesser things. And friends, it's wearing you out. It wears me out. And I do it too. I get up in the morning and I have this rule, word before phone. And many times it's, it's Twitter and email before the word. And then all the cares of the world are just weighing down on me. My focus is off. I got to keep going. Third, there's a drift away from personal holiness. We laugh because we think we're being fundamentalist. 
But no, we're just being sinners. There are certain things we as Christians just run away from. There are certain movies that we just shouldn't watch because they're going to help take us away from Christ. They're going to set our minds on lesser things. Friends, we, we're the city on the hill. We're the unstained picture bride of Christ, but yet we're running back to the nasty things over and over again. And last thing, last thing I see, there's simply, there's just a lack of love. I mean, the kind of love, it's the love of a parent many times. I was talking to my sister Julie earlier, and she just encouraged me so much. This beautiful picture of just love and grace for, for her kids and for others. And it's this picture of love that, you know what? You're going to do whatever you're going to do, but I'm going to be here. It is supernatural, merciful, forgiving. I'm going to walk with you through all of your mess kind of love. It's the kind of love for someone who has experienced the grace and love of God. When we truly taste and see the Lord is good, he's merciful. We can't help but show love to others. It's a love that surpasses every kind of lesser worldly thing. Whether you homeschool or send your kids to public school, whatever your thing is, it, it's, it, this love surpasses all those things. But my fear is that we have been stained by the ways of the world. And James this morning, for me, and I hope for us, is holding this mirror up and saying, look, look, church, and I love you, but look at the blemishes. Look at the ways that we are falling short. But don't go to then, I've got to pick this up and do it myself. Because we read many times, we read the book of James as if he's saying, faith is not a part of this. you just got to do works. That's simply not true. We don't need to just work harder. Look at James 1, 17, 18 again. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. God's work, God's will, he is who made us a people. It is God who made us a people. It's not your works. You cannot control yourself, control your tongue. It's by going deeper into faith in God and trust in God that he produces this fruit in us. He produces this fruit of the church. It says here, he brought us forth by the word of truth, by his gospel. God's the one who changed us. He changed us from the inside out. But that's not it. We're also the first fruits of a new creation. Think about life after the fall. It was this thorny, messed up garden. And Jesus came, rose again, and the church is this little seed that God is raising up to be this beautiful new picture for the world to see. This beautiful new city on the hill, this beautiful new garden for us to walk in. And so how do, we, how do we see the fruits of self-control, right? The, the, the fruits of servant-hearted love. The, the, the fruits of being set apart. From the, how do we see those things happen? Because we can't produce them ourselves, can we? You've tried, haven't you? And I've tried. Very quickly, go to John 15. I'm over my time, but we're a merciful church, correct? We're showing grace. John 15, verse 4. We say this all the time. It's the best picture of this I could find. Verse four, abide in me 
and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, you cannot bear the fruit of self-control, of servant-hearted love, of being set apart. You cannot do it by yourself. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. Just what James is saying. It's not true faith if we're not remaining in God. Verse 7, if you abide in me, hear this, and my words abide in you. The words of Jesus. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Please underline this. Abide in my love. And then last, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, here it comes, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, we must be obsessively devoted to abiding in Christ. Listen, friends, I'm going to start jumping up and down. We have to remove everything from our lives that is extraneous, that is just not that important. And we have to obsessively remain in the vine. It is our only hope, friends. It's our only hope for us as people to be made whole. And it's our only hope as a church to be the city on the hill is for us to be obsessively committed and devoted to abiding in the vine. And that's three ways. We're abide to the words of God. It says here, abide in my word. We let his words dictate and renew our minds, not the world's, right? Second, we abide in his love. We let his love be the center of our lives, be the identity of our lives. We're secure. And lastly, we abide in the ways of Jesus, which means we go and obey Listen, as you go and you love others, you're abiding in Christ. You're literally walking with Christ as you love others. So his words, his love, and his ways. We must obsessively commit and devote ourselves to that. And I believe, church, if we'll be committed to this, not this week, not next week, not next month, but in months and years, we'll see this beautiful garden in our city, not from anything that we've done, but from the fruit that God produces in us as a people, correct? And we can see this beautiful thing that God does, and our lives will then, in a sense, make sense. And we'll stop just walking in vain, but they'll be true, as he says here in John 15, there will be joy from apathy to joy, from a lack of purpose to great purpose, That is what James is putting in front of us today. And I want to encourage you, let me encourage you with this, to simply sit and wrestle with the words of James inspired by our Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, forgive us for where there is indifference in our lives. Forgive us for where we have fallen short. But Lord, let us this morning run to you. Not run to more works. Let's just simply run to you. Let our faith move deeper 
into you. Let our hope and our trust be more real in you. Let our life and our habits and our rhythms be committed to you and being and sitting with you. Lord, forgive us today for our indifference. Lord, I ask you to do a work in all of our hearts this morning. Lord, we love you. We need you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.